If you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus chapter 1 and verse 12. Titus chapter 1 verse 12. Brother Doug will be teaching, uh, bringing the service for the first time in the brand new nursing home right off of Highway 175, just north of town. And I know it's going to be a blessing to those people there and to Miss Hensley as well. Titus chapter 1 and verse 12. The title of the message this morning is Flies at the Door. My voice is a little weak. Had taught Sunday school this morning next door. And uh, so it's already gotten a good workout this morning. Flies at the Door. Now, we're going to start in verse 11 just to get a little context this morning. So if you'll look there with me. The Apostle Paul was telling Titus about these false teachers. And he said there are people, verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert or destroy or overthrow whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. In other words, dishonest gain. And so in these previous verses, Paul has been telling Titus that there were false teachers out there who were teaching unsound doctrine, especially those who said who followed the legalistic Jewish teaching. <clears throat> Paul told Titus that sound doctrine has to be used in order to stop the mouths. We learned that means literally to put the hand over the mouths of these false teachers. And this is why a pastor, Paul said, has to be able has to be capable, gifted, to be able to use sound doctrine for that purpose. So now continuing to explain the danger of these false teachers, Paul now says in verse 12, one of themselves, one of themselves. Okay, so here's where we have to stop and pay attention to what has been said since the beginning of the chapter. Because if you didn't, you would think that when he said one of themselves, he's talking about one of the false teachers, <clears throat> which in a sense he is. It was a false prophet that said this, but uh, this is not what he was referring to. So we have to understand what is he talking about? When Paul says one of themselves, he's not talking about the false prophets he just mentioned. He's actually talking about the people of the island of Crete, which is in Greece. Crete in Greece. And that's where Titus was ministering at that time. If you were to look on your map today, on the world map, you'd see a big island of Crete. I think it's the 88th largest island in the world. It's a very big island as far as islands go. Look back with me, if you would, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. And let's remind ourselves of the circumstance of Paul's letter. Paul told Titus, For this cause left I thee where? In Crete. In Crete. Uh, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or that are lacking, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So Titus was ministering to churches on the island of Crete. The island of Crete, when he talks about all these different cities, you may think, oh, there can't be that many cities on an island. island of Crete has over 3,200 square miles on that island. It's a big island. And it's still home to numerous cities today. You could go there today and 
walk in the same steps that Titus did. So when Paul says one of themselves, he's talking about their own Cretan people. Titus is ministering to Cretans, and Paul is about to quote one of the Cretan prophets. So Paul said, one of themselves, look back in your text now, even a prophet of their own, that is a prophet of their, 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 their Cretan people's own prophets. So while condemning false teachers, Paul is now referring to a Cretan prophet, a false teacher of their own Cretan civilization. So the churches Titus was ministering to had to have been very familiar with this Cretan prophet that Paul is about to quote from. Okay? So Paul said this Cretan prophet said, look back in your text, said the Cretans are always liars. Now we would, uh, in a modern version, we'd have always instead of always. But in the King James, uh, that was common to speak that way. You'll see that oftentimes in the King James Bible. But that prophet said, these Christian people are always liars. Now, why would a prophet speak that way about their own people? We do the same thing all the time. We start talking about how sorry America is, don't we? How bad the people of America are. And that's why uh, that prophet was doing as well. He said, these Christian people, they're always Liars. They had a uh, apparently had a, a good reputation of being some good liars, <laughs> and so Paul, uh, rather than pointing out directly that these Cretans were known to have a bad reputation as far as their character was concerned, Paul is using a different route here. He's going to use someone that was customarily respected. Like we might quote from Mark Twain or quote from, you know, someone, maybe Thomas Jefferson or someone from the old time. That's kind of what Paul's doing. He's not endorsing the man's doctrine, but he's taking someone familiar to those people. And he's done this on more than one occasion. And now he is using them as a way to try to interject something very important that Titus needs to know. He says that... uh, He wanted to remind remind them that this prophet said that the island of Crete was full of liars. Which was all the more reason that these Cretan churches need to be circumspect of the false teachers who were lurking about. The local prophet said his people were liars. They're people who will lie to you and they even bat an eye. You know, there's people like that. They'll look at you, they'll lie. In fact, they probably tell lies better than they tell the truth. And you can't see the look on their face. You know, a lot of people look guilty when they lie. There's people, Brother Shepherd knows, he's a retired polygraph examiner. And uh, they'll look at you and they can lie and just do so well because they have no conscience. In fact, they enjoy lying. In fact, some people make their living through lies. That's what a false prophet does. They make their living by lying. <clears throat> And it doesn't bother them one bit to lie to you. You have to understand this morning, this is what Paul's helping us do. And that is, many preachers are not mistaken. They're just no good, rotten liars. You hear that? A lot of preachers in the pulpit this morning, or around the world, last night, whenever it was, for their time of day, a lot of these preachers 
are not just mistaken. They're just no good, rotten liars. They're telemarketers. That's what telemarketers do. They make their living lying to you. <clears throat> A lot of them. They're telemarketers who are so clever that they actually have you calling on them. That's what these false teachers are. <clears throat> they have you getting up, getting dressed, tuning them on on the television, going to their churches, sitting in their pews. They're so clever. They have you coming to pay them to give them lies. The Cretan prophet said the people of Crete were not only liars, but they were, look back in your text, also evil beasts. You see that? Evil beasts. Now the Hebrew word that's translated evil here, it means they're no good. That's literally what that Hebrew word means. It doesn't mean they're, they're, they're evil in the sense of, I just want to do bad things to, to good people. But they're evil in the sense that they're no good at all. And the word translated beasts here, it describes a venomous creature or a creature that's, uh, that's injurious. The one that, uh, that's harmful, a harmful creature. So if it's a snake, it's a poisonous snake. If it's an animal, it's not a rabbit, it's a hyena. Okay, that's kind of what he's saying. So when he's saying that they're, they're evil beasts, you put the two things together. One is they're no good, harmful, venomous creatures. These false teachers, he said, they're like an invasive species that destroys the natural habitat and serves no beneficial purpose to the ecosystem. A lot of you who are fishermen, you know about that. You have to wash your boat and all that stuff, drain and dry and everything it tells you to do before you move your boat back to another lake. But like the like pythons in the Everglades, they're, they're not preachers who need to be listened to. They're pests that need to be stopped. They need to be put out altogether. Do you know what Paul is doing here? Paul is rubbing off all the makeup from these false teachers' faces. That's what he's doing. He's rubbing all the makeup off their faces. He's telling us, hey, Titus, hey, church, you've got to look past the well-groomed hair. You've got to look past the polished smiles. You have to look past the polished voices. You have to look past the nice clothes and the professional broadcasting, and yet to start seeing these people for what they really are. That's what Paul's doing. They are liars. They're dangerous animals out on the loose, and they are looking for you. The prophet said, they are liars. They are evil beasts. He said, they are, look back in your text now, say it with me, slow bellies. Everyone's giggling at that. Isn't that fun? That's kind of slow bellies. When we read stuff like this, how many of y'all read texts like this? You read over it and you think, okay, slow bellies. You just move on to the next verse, you know? <laughs> what do you do with it? <laughs> well, the, the Greek word translated slow here, it's actually, and the, the Greek does this a lot, it's actually two words squeezed together. The first word is, a, is the negative it means not. And the second word means active or employed. So you put the two together, 
not active, not employed, or we would say what? Unemployed. Unemployed. Okay? And so the word literally means they're not active. They're not employed. So this Cretan prophet was basically calling them unemployed bellies. Now that really helps clear things up, doesn't it? Well, it doesn't yet, but hang on. I know it sounds really weird when you first read it. We usually don't call people slow bellies today. Now you may start doing it after today. It may kind of become one of our little inside thing. But we don't usually say, those are a bunch of unemployed stomachs. That's what they are. We don't do that. So when we read this quote, it's, it's easy to get confused. And we start wondering, what in the world this prophet is talking about? Calling them slow bellies. So, so now that we've explained the word slow, let's think about the word belly for a moment. We don't have to go to the Greek really for this one. We know what a belly is. Think about a belly for a moment. And I tell you, I had some really good object lessons come over my house last week. I really did. And I had three grandkids. The belly is always demanding. Isn't that right, sugar? Oh, you ask my wife. I love to eat. When she gets through cooking, you know what she starts doing? Planning on what she's going to cook next. That's what she does. But the belly is always demanding, give me, give me, give me, give me. You know what the belly's not doing? It's never supplying. It's demanding and it's consuming, but it's never supplying. My grandkids come over. They're just bellies with legs on them. That's all they are. I'm not kidding you. They're bellies with legs on them. My, my grandkids, they come visit us, and when they come, because uh, uh, if y'all know me, I, I love to garden. Man, I love to make stuff grow, if you can eat it. My wife does the flowers, I plant the food. That's how it works at my house. And I love to, to plant stuff, and when my grandkids come over, it's a novelty to them. They think it's the coolest thing to walk outside <clears throat> and pick something that's growing out of the ground and just start eating it. <laughs> and just to eat raw vegetables directly from my garden. They came over the other day. And after they'd been outside for a little while, I had a just beautiful patch of kale. little patch of kale. And after they'd been outside for a while playing, it looked like a plague of locusts. I mean, it looked like, looked like Pharaoh and the children of Egypt all over again, like a plague of locusts just descended on my kale patch. Left some stalks. They came, and their bellies demanded, and their bellies consumed, but their bellies did not supply. Their bellies took away from my garden, but they didn't give to the garden. They left, leaving less of the garden there than what was there before. Are you getting the idea here of a slow belly? A slow belly is someone who doesn't provide any meaningful contribution Someone who doesn't meet any meaningful need, but is always demanding and consuming the resources of other people. Boy, you know full well what a slow belly is now, don't you? America, I'm going to go ahead and be this Christian prophet, preach against my own. America's full of slow bellies. Unemployed, useless, 
demanding guts that are devouring what other people work for. That's what they are. But the sad part is not only are they in our society, Paul's saying they're in our churches too. We have preachers who are constantly demanding and consuming people's carnal resources, but are never supplying people's spiritual needs. They're just slow bellies. They're good for nothing but devouring and demanding, but never supplying. It reminds me of when the Apostle Peter called the devil a roaring lion, seeking, walking about seeking whom he may what? Devour. Devour. The devil is not adding to people's lives. He's consuming them. The devil is a slow belly. And so are those who follow him. Paul is saying, Titus, you be careful in Crete. You watch out for these lying slow bellies because if you're not careful, they will ease their way into the churches there. They'll mislead them and they'll devour them. You know what? This is Paul's warning to us today as well. This is Paul's warning to our churches. Oh, how we need to take heed To these warnings. Remember what Titus' responsibility was? He was supposed to ensure that only qualified men of God filled the roles of being pastors to those churches. That was his job. This book is not simply written to warn us about false pastors. We know they're out there. But it's written to admonish us about our responsibility to ensure that they don't enter our church's doors. Churches not only have a responsibility to call false pastors out, they have a responsibility to keep false pastors out. I'll tell you, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that small churches make. It's when they form a pulpit committee without having a trusted pastor from someplace lead that pulpit committee. I want you to notice that the churches weren't calling their own pastors here in the book of Titus. Did y'all notice that? Think about it. You have a pastor setting pastors over these churches. They weren't they, they didn't have pulpit committees and letting all these Cretian people come in and interview for the job. Most small churches aren't capable Most people in the small church, you don't have enough people in that body in most small churches that are spiritually capable of sifting through potential pastor's doctrine to see if they qualify. They're simply not. I've been interviewed by several churches over the years, including this one, of course. Been here 12 years now, thank the good Lord. And out of all the churches I've interviewed, including this one, I've never been asked Strong doctrinal questions. Not once. By the pulpit committee. That's like (laughs) the title of the message is flies at the door. Man, when my grandkids came over. You know how kids are? Kids don't like to stay in. And kids don't like to stay out. What do they like to do? They like to go in and out, in and out. That's just what they do. And you know what happened at those grandkids over for a while? Had flies all in my house. 
I mean, it's like those flies are just sitting there in the garage, just rubbing their little, rubbing their little hands. And as soon as one of those grandkids open the door to go devour my kale patch, right in there. That's the way it works. And when you don't have somebody who's, uh, who's capable of, through sound doctrine, sifting through those pastors before they're placed over the churches, that's like leaving the church door cracked open and hoping a fly doesn't get in. I want to tell you something. Solid Bible teachers, they're pretty scarce these days. They are. They're hard to come by. But lazy, careless, false teachers, slow bellies, they're like flies swarming around the church door. They are. Waiting on opportunity to slip in when someone's not careful. You know what they want to do? They want to get their foot into the door and they want to get on the church's payroll. I'm just going to speak plain. They want to start taking the church's money and giving them nothing of value in return. A lot of pulpit committees, basically what, in my history, my experience, they form up of people with good intentions, really good intentions. They usually seek no outside professional help. They then come in and they try to take whatever secular skills they've learned throughout their secular jobs. They try to get resumes. They try to interview and ask questions what they think is important to them. They try to test them out in the pulpit and preach and say, yeah, I like that. That's good preaching. But they don't know what to look for. And then someone comes in and next thing you know, doctrine starts coming out. And if they're not sound, they'll start getting misled in that doctrine or it's too late, and they'll find out what the person really believes. As I was studying for this message, the local news in Tyler reported a long list of sexual predators that have been found in the Southern Baptist Church uh, churches over the past 20 years. How many of y'all saw that news piece? I know I shared it on our, our announcement, our, our church announcement group. Thirteen of those Ministers were from East Texas. One of them was from First Baptist Church right down the road on the same street as us. A 205-page report with over 700 entries. A few years ago, one of our very own church members, not a church member here anymore, but he was a church member here at the time, and his brother was an independent Baptist pastor in another town. And his brother, that pastor, who was pastor in that church for many years, is now in prison for molesting his grandson. He didn't make the list. He wasn't Southern Baptist. Slow bellies. Flies at the church's door. They consume the lives of our people, giving them lies in return. Paul is saying, don't check their resume. Listen, one day, some of you people may be having to fill this pulpit right here. Now, I've thought this through. I've thought this through so many times because as a pastor, I care about this church. Even after I'm gone into heaven, I care about y'all. And I want y'all to be taken care of. And uh, so as I was Preparing this message, I thought, you know, I've got to make sure these people understand what the Bible is saying here so they can do this. And, and, and I've thought this through so many times, even before this message, and I thought, okay, 
If I get hit by a bus, if I die of a heart attack, we already got Brother Shepherd. He could come in here. He could just start preaching, at least for the time. And if he didn't want it, then that's fine. But he could at least help find somebody. He wanted y'all wanted him that he could take over. We got people who we try to train, who can try to to help fill in those gaps. Hope the best thing would not have to be look on the outside, but if you had to, you need to have people, you need to have a pastor that is well grounded in doctrine that can interview someone and go, nope, and cut those people out. Or say, no, this man right here has a spirit of God in him. This is who we need. You've got to have someone over your pulpit committees that do that. The inside is best first because you know the person's character if they've been here. You got it? It's better, it's better to elevate from within than to import from without. Okay? Because you can only take people's word. Everyone's willing to pat someone on the back on a, on a resume and be a reference for them. We see that all the time in jobs. People get hired. They have no business where they are. Paul's saying, don't check their resume. Check their doctrine. Check their education. Check their background. Check their status in the community. Check the sacrifices they've already been making for the service of God's kingdom. Paul's saying, don't check their references. Check their ability to expound difficult passages of God's word. I, now, I'm going to tell you something. You, the, the times that I've interviewed, um, or preached in view of a cause, that's what they call it. I'm just going to give you the terminology. When, when people go try out for a church, when a pastor goes and tries out for a church, they call it preaching in view of a call. In other words, he's preaching in view of being called to that church as a pastor. Usually, here's what a pastor does, or a potential pastor. He gets invited to preach in view of a call. He's going to dust off his very best sermon, the one that's got him the most amens in the past. Okay? He's going to put on his best. He's going to get up there and he's going to preach and he's going to be trying to be all excited and make you think that he's all of what you've ever dreamt of in a pastor. And you're going to say, well, you know, that was pretty good, Miss Ann. Let's call him back. So he comes back another Sunday. He dusts off his second best-selling album. Here he goes again. He may even give some old Billy Graham poses while he's doing it. You never know. And then, after a while, you think, you know what? We're kind of calling him out. We, we think we want this fellow. He interviewed well. He preached good and everything. Let me, tell you the, let me tell you what I think a church ought to do when they have a pastor come preach in view of a call. You find somebody, you get your best spiritual leader... That's in that church. The person who's the best Bible teacher you have in that church that knows doctrine. And if you don't have one, get you an outside pastor. You then assign a difficult passage to that pastor to come teach you. You choose the text he's going to preach from. And you make it a hard one. Make it a hard one. Make it one that he don't have something already he can dust off. Make it something that he have to actually work for and study for and it be original. Then you come sit and you listen and see. Can he take 
Slow bellies, for example. How many of y'all get, I got a good idea, you read it now, you'll never wonder what that is again. Can he take a passage of Scripture, and after I read it and he expounded, I leave knowing exactly what that means. If he can't, call him. If he can take that word, and he can make the difficult simple to understand, and he stays true to that Scripture, you hang on to that fellow. Hang on to him. Because that's the work of God. We was teaching this morning, Nehemiah chapter 8, Bible lessons for Bible teachers uh, next door. And that's the whole point of, uh, of a pastor is to read the text and to break it down. Read it distinctly and to give people the understanding of it. So I'm hoping, now praise God, if it's God's will, I'm hope I'm here for a long time. I hope I can keep. I went jogging yesterday, Brother Doug. I'm doing my part. But I may get on that treadmill one day and kaboom, you know, may happen. And when it does, because it's going to sometime, I want the people here to remember what you heard in this message. And you set yourself up for success when you get another pastor. You do that. Okay? Paul is telling us about our responsibility to keep the church pure. Paul is saying, check their ability to expound God's Word. That's going to let you know how much time they spent in the Word of God. That's going to give you a good idea of their walk with God. He says, raise the bar high and hold pastors to the standards that I've shown you. Paul warns, you do this or slow bellies may enter your church and you'll get one for your next pastor. You'll have a slow belly for your teacher and a role model for your children. And with that, we'll go ahead and close, and God willing, take back up in verse 13 next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for giving us such precise instruction, such vivid descriptions of what we're to look out for what we're to do to try to um, prevent them from getting into our churches how to, to meet the needs of people by making sure they meet the qualifications that you set for us Lord I pray for your perfect will for this church I pray for their future right now I don't know how long I'll be here. I don't know how long I'll live till you call me home or call me away or whatever you do. But Lord, I pray for them, not only for today, but I pray for this church for the years to come. I pray you'll grow us in grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and protect them, Father. Protect their ears, their hearts from being misled, from being disappointed, Father from having a false teacher ever enter these doors here, Father, and hurting these people. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name.